I'm Roy Lee Lindsay with the North Carolina Pork Council, and I want everyone to remember, bacon makes everything better. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Old North State Tailgate presented by NC Pork. I'm Chris Edwards. Great to be with David Glenn as always. And hey, join us this Saturday for the big rivalry matchup, State and Carolina in Raleigh. We'll be there at the Backyard Bistro on Saturday from 5.30 to 7.30. Come see us for our Old North State Tailgate and Traveling Sports Circus. Always, thanks for tuning in and subscribing on whatever platform you're watching or listening to us on, whether it's YouTube or Spotify. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeart. We certainly appreciate the support of all of our shows and hope you'll tell your friends about it too. Hey, coming up on the DG Show this week, join us for our Thanksgiving special where we talk about a lot of things that we're thankful for with this college football season. All right, DG, let's get into it. It's time for us to break the huddle presented by the original Saltworks going back to the games last week. We'll start with the big one in Death Valley where Clemson at home takes down number 20 North Carolina. 31 to 20 in a game that really didn't feel like it was that close from what I saw in the second half. Yeah, I agree with you, Chris. And it was Carolina that went to Death Valley as the nationally ranked team, but it was the Tigers that looked like the better team overall. And the recurring themes for the Tar Heels as they fell to eight and three on the season are that they just don't have enough strong, tough guys at the line of scrimmage and they make too many mental errors, especially on defense in both of those cases. Remember, Virginia and now Clemson both kept the ball for 38-plus minutes in their victories over the Tar Heels, which means that Drake May and the UNC explosive offense were on the field for only 21 or 22 minutes. UNC continues to have an odd defense in that three guys have been absolute studs. We've mentioned Cayman Rucker at defensive end all season, Cedric Gray and Power Eccles at linebacker all season. But everybody else on that defense has been somewhere between unpredictable and unreliable. And as a group, they also, as we mentioned in recent weeks, they look like they've worn down physically, and both within games and over the course of this season. Meanwhile, against that outstanding Clemson defense that we've been talking about all year, Omarion Hampton, the running back for the Tar Heels, does deserve a lot of credit. It's not easy to get 178 rushing yards and two touchdowns against these Tigers. But he also lost two fumbles inside the Clemson 10-yard line, including as he was about to break the plane on that amazing defensive play by Nate Wiggins, who ran him down. You got to be better than that. You got to be smarter than that. Drake May ran it well against Clemson. But for the first time this season, he didn't even complete half of his passes, and he was sacked four times. Meanwhile, the young quarterback, the inconsistent guy, Cade Klubnick, he wasn't great, but guess what? He didn't turn the ball over, and he wasn't sacked at all by the Tar Heel defense. So overall, while the Heels had almost as many yards as the Tigers, almost as many first downs as the Tigers, Carolina has 10 penalties to Clemson seven. Carolina has three turnovers to the Tigers two. And Carolina has more mental mistakes. You just need to be much tougher, and you need to much play a much cleaner game to win at Death Valley, even against a lesser version of Clemson than we've seen in recent years. And the Tar Heels were not up to that task. Now they're scrambling in mid-November for the second year in a row to try to save their season. We'll talk more about the Tar Heels coming up a little bit later on in our show as they've got the big game in Raleigh this weekend. How about the big win on the road for Sean Clark's group at Appalachian State? College game day was there in Harrisonburg, nationally ranked JMU, undefeated, fighting for bowl eligibility, a lot of storylines into this game, and then App survives that late JMU push. The Mountaineers winning in overtime. I think the one question I have for you, DG, with this win now by App, uh, is it safe to say that Coach Clark's job is safe for another year or two? I would think so. You know, Doug Gillen, the AD at App State, and that administration, of course, have the final say. But we know it's no exaggeration to say that this is one of the best victories of Sean Clark's four seasons as the head coach of the Mountaineers. Mm -hmm. And no, I'm not forgetting that win at Texas A&M that brought game day to Boone, North Carolina. I'm just saying one of the best victories. Think about it. On the road against a 10-0 James Madison team, a well-coached team, 
and a nationally ranked opponent with game day on hand in Virginia. It does not get much better than that, and it helps, I think, change the way App State has been viewed by many of these last two seasons, which was that of a program in decline. Six and six last year, some struggles earlier this year. What impressed me the most, for those who didn't see the game, App State won without being able to run the ball a lick. Yep. That is not easy to do against anybody, much less a James Madison team that's at home and playing with sky-high confidence and undefeated. The junior college transfer, Joey Aguilar, who, remember, was not even the Mountaineers' starting quarterback when this season started, he delivered again big time against that tough James Madison defense, which has been one of the best in the Sun Belt all year. Aguilar had 318 passing yards, three touchdown passes, and on the Mountaineers' only long touchdown drive of the game. They got some short fields for their other scores. But this one was 13 plays, 80 yards, gobbled up a lot of time early fourth quarter. Aguilar threw it on literally almost every play to put App State up at that point 17-5. to When JMU came back fourth quarter with those two late scoring drives and sent the game into overtime, importantly, and this is partly a coaching thing, the Mountaineers did not flinch and they did not hit the panic button. Aguilar hits Caden Robinson on that game-winning play. It's a crossing route. It's third down. It's from the eight-yard line. And that was after JMU had hit a field goal on their overtime possession. If Joey Aguilar does not hit Caden Robinson perfectly in stride so that he doesn't have to slow down, he doesn't have to adjust to the ball, he doesn't have to give tacklers a chance to catch up with them. If he doesn't make that perfect throw and if Robinson didn't stiff-arm one opponent at the two, and then if you didn't see it, I mean, he lost control of that ball a fraction after he broke the plane, after video review it was upheld. That is execution under extreme pressure. Who knows how that game would have ended if Robinson got tackled outside the end zone. That would have been a fourth down play. Maybe they kicked the field goal to send it to another overtime. Instead, they limit their penalties and other mistakes during the game. They execute under extreme pressure in overtime, and now they get to head back to Boone with that ginormous victory instead of having to wonder what might have been. Well, the final game we're going to talk about here in our opening segment is another team that fought through some adversity last week. If folks watched our show last week, which they should watch every single week, we talked about how Virginia Tech DG was quietly playing some really good football and maybe one of the most consistent teams in the ACC as of late. NC State goes on the road to a tough place to play, Lane Stadium, and Dave Doran's Wolfpack comes out with a 35-28 win, and now all of a sudden you win this week, you win a bowl game, you're looking at a 10-win season for Dave Doran and the Wolfpack. Yeah, we're 11 years into this Dave Doran experiment in Raleigh, and there are some fair criticisms, right? I mean, the guy... On the one hand, is the winningest coach in Wolfpack football history. On the other hand, he's averaged about seven wins a year. So which is it, the greatness of the, of the winningest of all time or the mediocrity of an average of seven wins a year? That's debatable. But what's not debatable is that there are a lot of signs of good coaching for this 2023 Wolfpack story. You could actually lose count, but I'll give you a few quickly. Number one, NC State is 4-0 and since its bye week. That means whatever the coaches tried to correct during the break in all three phases of the game, those things resonated with the players, were embraced by the players, and now were executed over these last four weeks by those players. Because remember, Clemson, Miami, and Virginia Tech, three of those four victories are not exactly pushover opponents, especially in some of those environments, as you, you described, Blacksburg. Number two. State does not commit a lot of penalties. They do not commit a lot of mental errors. Those qualities become enormously important in close games when your margin for error is thin. Number three, State is maximizing its relatively limited talent on offense, where quarterback Brennan Armstrong just had the best game of his season, guy who was benched earlier this year and for good reason. He has two touchdown throws, an area where he was horrible at times earlier this year, and two touchdown rushes against the Hokies. And meanwhile, freshman wide receiver Casey Concepcion, who everybody can see is by far the pack's top talent on that side of the ball, he continues to get a bunch of touches creatively on both running plays and passing plays. 
Finally, on defense, the stud linebacker Peyton Wilson and his crew, I know the Hokies got a couple of fourth-quarter touchdowns to make the score a little closer, but the Pack is still only giving up about 20 points per game. They're first in the ACC in interceptions, and they've tallied more yardage lost on sacks than anybody in the ACC. So the bottom line is through a bunch of injuries early this year, through some real offensive ineptitude, and anybody who thinks I'm exaggerating, just rewatch the Louisville game, plus the crazy quarterback drama of Brendan Armstrong being the transfer starter, but then playing poorly and losing his job, and then MJ Morris leading a three and three to one rec- three win, one loss record in his four starts, and then pulling the bizarro midseason red shirt request. This state team, through all that chaos, is eight and three, and as you said, has a chance at just the second season of 10 or more wins in the history of the program. That is a fascinating story as we speak, and it's going to be truly unforgettable if it ends the way Wolfpack fans want it to end. And we'll talk more about that coming up a little bit later on in our show. But coming up in our next segment, it's our Sport Clips MVP of the Week presented by Sport Clips. Mike Waddell and the coach, they sit down with Trey Lamb, the head coach of the Gardner-Webb Running Bulldogs, the Big South champs. That's coming up in our next segment. But as we go to break, here are all the scores from last week's games involving North Carolina college football teams with our Jimmy scoreboard right here on the Old North State Tailgate. The oldest restaurant in New Hanover County has a brand new look, feel, and taste, making it the number one place for great food in Wrightsville Beach. Owner Jimmy Galise and his wife Keaton have poured their hearts and soul into the reformation of this North Carolina coastal classic restaurant, and the impact has been fantastic. King Neptune serves fresh fish, chicken, and steak, and has an amazing wine and spirits to lift your dining experience to the make it the best at the beach. Come taste the creations of Chef Chavez and you'll know that you have tasted a little bit of heaven right there in Wrightsville Beach. That's King Neptune. Call them at 910-239-3055 and make your reservation now. King Neptune in Wrightsville Beach, a proud partner of the North Carolina Sports Network. Hey folks, David Glenn here. I cannot offer a greater endorsement or a bigger compliment than telling you about the folks that I use for important matters in my own life. That's the case with the Lawson Insurance Group, led by three actual brothers, Ken Lawson, Miller Lawson, and Michael Lawson. These guys operate a very successful family-oriented business right here in Raleigh, and that office happens to be one of those beautiful blends of NC State grads and UNC grads and graduates, fans and supporters of other colleges and universities all over North Carolina. I know these guys, I trust these guys, and I send these guys my own insurance business business and that of my family. The next time you have insurance needs, I hope you'll do the same. The Lawson Insurance Group is known for its commitment to community and its dedication to ensuring that North Carolinians and their businesses are prepared for life's inevitable challenges. With the reminder that as a high street insurance partner, Lawson Insurance Group offers local expertise and support that combined with high street's extensive national resources means more choice and support for you as their client. As we speak, Miller Lawson's helping the Glenn family with our auto insurance needs and Ken Lawson is the guy to call for your commercial insurance needs. If you Google high street Lawson Insurance, their website will be the first to pop up. Welcome back to the Old North State Tailgate presented by NC Fork. I'm Chris Edwards. Great to be with David Glenn as always. And it's time for a Hot Reads of the Week presented by Lawson Insurance and High Street Insurance Partners. And DG, we'll start with the big one in college football this week. Two 11-0 teams facing off. It's 11-0 Ohio State at 11-0 Michigan. Winner stays in the picture for the college football playoffs. And, of course, Michigan playing their third game without their head coach, Jim Harbaugh, on the sidelines. Talk about drama, a lot of drama in this game, despite the fact it's one of the best rivalries in college football year in and year out. Yeah, how about this? Whether you look at the past or the present, this has something very intriguing to offer. Did you know, Chris, that the winningest programs in college football history 
are Michigan at number one. The Wolverines just hit the 1,000 victory mark last weekend with Jim Harbaugh against sideline. And Ohio State is number two all time with 964 wins. Oh, by the way, the Buckeyes and the Wolverines are first and third, respectively, in all-time winning percentage in major college football. Both schools plus Alabama are barely above 73%. So those are some of the facts behind the reality that when the nickname of your rivalry matchup is simply the game, like <laughs> there are a lot of creative names out there, right? The game. You probably have a lot of maybe a century or so's worth of impressive history behind your rivalry, if that's what they call it. Now, fast forward to the present. And you also have multiple fascinating aspects of this matchup on Saturday afternoon. Obviously, the winner finishes the regular season 12-0. They're a heavy favorite against Iowa in the Big Ten championship game. And I would argue they're a very likely 13-0 qualifier in this last year of our four-team version of the college football playoff. The loser of this game does have a nice-looking record, 11-1. and And the only loss would be, of course, to a quality opponent. But they have no chance of getting a conference championship, and that is specified by the selection committee as a heavily weighted factor in those deliberations. Given the fact that Georgia of the SEC, Florida State of the ACC, Washington of the Pac-12, all also remain undefeated in addition to these Buckeyes and Wolverines going head-to-head -head now, Plus, one loss Oregon, one loss Texas, one loss Alabama. They could become 12-1 and one Power 5 conference champions. That means there's a really good chance that an 11-1 and one Ohio State or an 11-1 and one Michigan, whoever loses on Saturday, is going to get left out of this playoff, especially if one beats the other by a significant margin, say double digits. Bottom line, you rarely see a regular season college football game with higher stakes than this one, and that's why I expect maybe the biggest TV audience of the entire regular season. Finally, you have the Michigan sign-stealing scandal lingering in the background, not only with Harbaugh and his suspension, but remember the NCAA is going to get to this case at some point in 2024. I know a lot of people are not bothered by this sign-stealing scandal, and it actually makes me wonder about those people, because for example, if they were, you know, my financial advisor and not all that concerned by cheating and cutting corners or, you know, things like integrity, I might have to find a new financial advisor. But when I ask actual college football coaches about this scandal, a huge majority agree, whatever the fans think, that Michigan, given what it did, deserves to be punished severely. We know a lot of what happened. We don't know everything. But we do know that the guy who did it was on the Michigan payroll. And you'd have to be really naive to think he was doing it just for kicks and giggles in a development that surprised exactly nobody who possesses even a shred of common sense in their cranium. Michigan's linebackers coach, Chris Partridge, was caught destroying evidence related to the scandal. And he got fired as a result. So much for the no big deal fans out there who thought this was just some rogue low-level guy. We all knew, somebody on the staff knew, and I don't even assume Jim Harbaugh knew, but you're darn right I assume somebody knew because kicks and giggles aren't going to get that stuff done. And how's this for a last fun fact? Immediately before Michigan's sign-stealing scandal, Ohio State had defeated the Michigan Wolverines 15 times in 16 attempts. That is all but once from 2004 through 2019. The recent shellackings of 62-39 and 56-27 went in favor of the Buckeyes. Mm -hmm. Lo and behold, since the sign-stealing scandal, the Wolverines have won two straight over the Buckeyes. Last year's victory in Columbus was their first road victory in this rivalry in 22 years. Gee, I wonder what changed. Michigan is a three or four point favorite in this game. Anybody who thinks the pendulum swings that severely that quickly by accident is fooling themselves. And the Wolverines are tip while the Wolverines are typically very tough on their home field, I have a feeling most of America will be rooting for the Buckeyes in this one. And I actually think the Buckeyes are going to win the game.
I love it. I think that's great analysis. Uh, how about this other hot read that's a little closer to our backyard now? Uh, it was announced uh, the other morning, coming off their loss to Navy 10 to nothing, that East Carolina dismissed their offensive coordinator, Donnie Kirkpatrick. It was the first time the Pirates had been shut out in 26 years. My question for you, DG, dismissing the offensive coordinator this late in the season, is this Mike Houston trying to show some face and maybe try to save his job for another year? I think so, and I don't think he makes that announcement unless he knows that he's invited back uh, despite this train wreck of a season. Quick shout-out to Donnie Kirkpatrick. He's a really well-liked guy in the Greenville area. Uh, he has spent, I believe it's a total of 16 seasons with the Pirates during two different assistant coaching tenures under, under multiple head coaches. Uh, but with all due respect, this was an absolutely inevitable decision by Mike Houston. Given the Pirates' absolute collapse offensively, you know I try not to exaggerate on this show or in any other forum, and I don't think I'm so, doing so here. In this offensive-oriented era of major college football, as we speak, Chris, there are 47 FBS teams averaging at least 30 points per game. And some of them are at 40 points a game. But just remember, that's almost 50 teams that are at 30 points a game offensively or higher. The Pirates averaged about 16 points a game or have averaged to this point about 16. That ranks 129th out of 130 FBS teams. It just simply does not get any get much worse than that. I'm sure there are a lot of factors that went into this offensive train wreck, but remember, it is on the offensive coordinator especially that when you look at your quarterback depth chart during the offseason, part of coaching is not just, you know, Monday through Saturday or or game day Xs and Os or even game prep or film study. Part of coaching is looking honestly at your own depth chart, especially at the most important position on the field, and evaluating it honestly and accurately. After the Holton Ehlers era, which maybe spoiled the Pirates at quarterback, he's been in and out of the NFL rosters this year. In the portal era especially, where there's always a willing transfer ready to plug in as a starting QB, you simply cannot miscalculate the caliber of your returning quarterbacks. They did that. They looked at Mason Garcia as an unproven guy. They looked at Alex Flynn, another unproven guy. And at some point, they decided that was going to be enough to roll the dice in the 2023 season. That proved, obviously, to be a massive miscalculation, to say the least. And especially in this transfer portal world, I absolutely understand why that miscalculation has to be a fireable offense. All right, now time for our Sport Clips MVP of the Week presented by Sport Clips. Mike Waddell hanging out with the head coach of the Big South Champions, the head coach of the Gardner-Webb Running Bulldogs, Trey Lamb. Mike, take it away. North Carolina is chock full of college football teams, big-time talent on the field and in the coaching box. But when you talk about a program that is truly on the rise, you get to look no further than Boiling Springs and Gardner-Webb. And joining us now is the head coach of the running Bulldogs, Trey Lamb. And coach, how exciting is it to be going back to the playoffs with the Gardner-Webb running Bulldogs? Yeah, it's. I think it's big for us. You know, backing up last year, we had, you know, a record-breaking year, fantastic quarterback, senior uh, wide receiver that's playing for the Patriots. Um, had a really good football team. We won – Seven games, had a winning season for the first time in a long time, first ever playoff appearance. Uh, but I, I really didn't want to be a flash in the pan. You know, I wanted to be able to back this up again with a successful year. We had a lot of guys coming back on defense, had to replace a few guys at quarterback, receiver, offensively. Uh, but I knew we'd have a good team. Uh, got out to a little bit of a slow start, you know, playing East Carolina, App State, Elon is not an easy stretch there uh, in the state of North Carolina. <clears throat> and, uh, Lucky enough to beat Elon and, and lose to App State in East Carolina. Lost a conference game in there. So we start the year two and three. Uh, lose our starting quarterback to injury. And we get a third-team quarterback that comes in. and is, He set the world on fire. And uh, he's a true freshman. And, and that's been the biggest difference. We've played better on defense. We've won five straight. Uh, we've got the turnover margin flipped a little bit back in our favor. And uh, I can't wait to play Mercer on Saturday. Now, you were a prolific quarterback at Tennessee Tech. 
your father, Hal, a great high school football coach in Georgia, your uncle, Bobby, a great college football coach at both Mercer, irony right there, and then also at Furman. But now here it is your opportunity. You're this prolific passer as a player, and now you have to guide a third-string quarterback to lead a team to the playoffs. How does that work? Yeah, it, it certainly hasn't been easy. I think it's probably been one of my better coaching jobs. I, I've only been in, you know, I'm only 34 years old, so I've only, this is my 10th year in college coaching. Uh, but this has certainly been the hardest job I've had offensively. Um, I think we're young, and we got a true freshman quarterback that got here in July and really hadn't had many reps. So protecting him, calling the game safely for him, but also taking enough chances to score the ball. Uh, but I tell you, our defense has really played well. And uh, there's a lot of seniors on that side of the ball that has given us a great chance, knowing we don't have to score 50 points a game. You know, if we score 30, every game we scored 30 in this year, we've won. We're 7-0 and when we score 30 points. So that's kind of the threshold um, we need to get to and find a way to score 30 points this Saturday. But uh, very proud of the way our offense has responded here down the stretch as well. We're talking to Trey Lamb. He's the head coach of the running Bulldogs of Gardner-Webb. They're in the FCS playoffs this weekend at Mercer, 3 o'clock. But let's go back to that start. As you said, loss against App State, win against Elon, then back-to-back -back losses against Tennessee State and East Carolina. But then after that really crushing loss, 41-14 to against Austin P. what happened? What was the thing that really transformed this team? What moment can you point to that was the tipping point for Gardner-Webb to go up instead of taking what a lot of teams would do at that point and taking the easy road down? Well, we had several seniors just step up and say, hey, look, guys, you know, our backs are against the wall at this point. We have no choice. Um, every game is a playoff game from here on out. We need to win the rest of them to have a chance to get in the playoffs. Um, and we did that. Um, I'll tell you that scheduling has everything to do with college football as well. Um, Elon's a really good football team. Austin P's a really good football team. We split those, okay? Um, and and our our true freshman got his first start against Austin P at their place. It's a tough place to go play. They're really good. They've won nine straight um, at Austin P. So that's a good program. Um, now, yeah, App State and East Carolina, you know, you're gonna beat those guys one out of every fifty tries. Just that's just how it is from a talent deficiency. Uh, from a resource deficiency. Now we believe we can do that. We played app down to the wire. We we had a lead there late in the fourth, late in the third quarter. Excuse me, had two fourth quarter turnovers. It kind of got away from us, but we still played well. I knew we had a good team after that day. After we played them, I was like, okay, guys, we can win a bunch of games with this group. Um, so just stay in the course. I think the seniors, you know, stood up in a couple of meetings and said, you know, this BS has got to stop. The mistakes have got to stop. You can't have any more my bads. Our back's against the wall, and it's a playoff game the rest of the year. That's an exciting thing to watch as a coach. And as you're going through this, not only with your own staff, but your team, where do you look for counsel? Who is still mentoring you as a 34-year-old head coach at Gardner-Webb? You know, my granddad, you know, coached at the University of Georgia for a while. He was a high school retired coach. I call him a lot. He's 88 years old. Uh, my dad obviously was very successful. My uncle Bobby is very successful. I got, I played for Watson Brown, Mac Brown's older brother at Tennessee Tech. So uh, Watson still talks to me once a week, and, and we communicate. Um, so I lean on a lot of people, and I got a lot of friends in coaching, and I got a great coaching staff. You know, I, I trust those guys to do their job. I don't micromanage them. I coach the quarterbacks. I call the plays, and I'm the head coach. So I can't, I can't be in every meeting, and I can't be in every room. They got to be able to do their job, and push the message that I want through the team. Is that something that you think is sustainable as a coach as you grow in the profession? Because so many coaches, when they're at different parts of their maturation, are doing all that you're doing, but at some point they have to become a CEO. Is that a mandate, do you feel, or is it something that somebody can still be, as Steve Spurrier would call it, being a ball coach? Yeah, I, I think it depends on where you're at. You know, I think – if you're a place that's absolutely resourced and you can go pay an offensive coordinator that can do a better job than you, then you do it. Um, if you're at a place that you don't think you can pay somebody to do a better job than you can at that stage in your career, I think you go ahead and call the place. Um, you know, and some coaches do it different. I think in the NFL, you got a lot of head coaches call plays, um, defense and offense. You know, Brandon Staley calls the defense for the Chargers. Sean McVay calls it. Kevin O'Connell calls it. Uh, Mike Shanahan calls, you know, it's, it's more, or Kyle Shanahan, excuse me, it's more popular at that level 
uh, because there's less motivation. You know, you don't have to motivate NFL players. They, they're, they're motivated by money. You know, they're motivated by contracts. At the college level, motivation and culture is way more important because you're, you're motivating 18 to 22-year-olds. So I think at some point in my career, I'll probably take a step back and become the CEO and be involved in defense special teams more. Uh, but right now, I've got all my hands in the pie of offense and, and quarterback play and, and calling the plays. So that's just where we're at right now. And, and we'll see how it evolves as my career grows. As a broadcaster growing up, I had a producer always talking in my ear. And it was amazing sometimes the tone that was used in that earpiece. Tell me about what it's like to be on a headset at Gardner-Webb and what kind of chatter would I hear back and forth between you and your assistant coaches? Yeah, I'm generally pretty calm during the week. Um, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty laid back. But on Saturday, I, I become very competitive and I will – I will certainly raise my voice and lose my mind a little bit. I, I've I've been better as the year goes on. You know, App State, I lost it like six times during the game. We shanked a punt. I lost it on the special teams coach. We, you know, missed a block. I lose it on the O-line coach. You know, I, I've got to sit back um, and be a little more reserved on game day so that I can give us the best chance to be successful. Kids are going to make mistakes. Um, they're not doing it on purpose. And I think if – if you can stay reserved and keep the confidence up, it gives you a greater chance to win in the fourth quarter. And I've gotten better through my career. You know, this is only my third season as a head coach. So I've certainly gotten better at that um, of maturing on game day. Your wife Carter is at home after a tough game. Does she get on you about how you may uh, act on the sidelines or what you might say in a post-game interview? Well, a lot of times I get home and she gets very frustrated because I talk to her like I'm running a staff meeting or, or a team meeting. And, I, and she's like, you're not the coach here. You know, you can stop talking to me like that. You know, I'm, I'm being, hey, here's what we want, X, Y, Z. Here's the demands, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, no, that's not how this works at home. Don't bring your work home. So she's really good about it. She, we're complete opposites. I'm type A, all over the place, organized, 100 miles an hour, energy, all that good stuff. And she's very laid back, kind of flies by the seat of her pants. So we fit each other really well. Um, when I get home, it, it's more about the kids and, and try to leave football out of it. Well, football will definitely be center plate coming up Saturday afternoon. It's Mercer and Gardner-Webb in the FCS playoffs. What's the game plan for the Bulldogs to go down to Mercer and to come back with the win? Yeah, we're going to have to air the football out a little bit. The weather's going to be good. They're, they're really good at stopping the run. They load the box. They're very disciplined in the box. They play blocks very well on the defensive line and at linebacker. So we, we need to really pick on their secondary. We're going to throw it deep 10 to 15 times. If you hit on four of those, that's 28 points right there, you know. Um, so we're going to be aggressive in our play calling offensively. You know, defensively, they have two fantastic receivers. So we're going to have to have a great plan to to play some roll coverage and, and, and double those guys on third down. It's hard to double two receivers, but we're going to have to try to find a way to do it. Um, we've got to rush the passer, as always, and special teams are going to play a big piece. Turnover margin's huge this week. They're, they're really good at taking the ball away. And to be honest with you, we've been very poor. I think we're ranked 102 in the country in turnover margin. So uh, that tells me we had a really good team. If we're still seven wins with, with minus in the turnover margin, it, it, we're talented. That tells me that. So I'm excited for the challenge. I haven't been back down there since I worked there um, in 2017. Um, so it, it's going to be an exciting atmosphere, and I can't wait to see it. Ought to be a lot of fun to watch it. Trey Land, the head coach of Gardner-Webb, running Bulldog football with us here on the North Carolina Sports Network. Good luck to you and the team. We hope to have you back on the show soon. All right. I appreciate it. All right, Mike. Thanks so much. When we come back, David and I will go inside our XL Moving and Storage Big Four Games of the Week. That's next on the Old North State Tailgate presented by NC Pork. In sports, we talk a lot about impact players who make a positive difference. When it comes to our state's economy, the North Carolina pork industry is a true MVP. Each year, the pork industry plays an important role in supporting rural communities across our state. It contributes more than $10 billion a year to the North Carolina economy and supports more than 44,000 jobs. Learn more about their positive impact at ncpork.org. The North Carolina Pork Council, the foundational partner of the North Carolina Sports Network. Hey folks, David Glenn here for Organize for Success. I am a better person and a more effective business owner for having known and learned from Emily Parks over many years now. Emily's company, Organize for Success, helps multi-passionate business owners and executives bring harmony 
to all the layers of their lives, from work to side projects, from friends and family to hobbies, community, and beyond. With Emily's help, you too can make every minute matter. She helps you determine what earns your time and how to efficiently accomplish what matters. One of the many things I love about Emily is that she doesn't impose her will on her clients. She listens to them. That way she can better help them cultivate the lives they want to live. You can set up a complimentary call with Emily today by visiting OrganizeForSuccess.com. That's OrganizeForSuccess.com. Welcome back to our old North State tailgate presented by NC Pork. I'm Chris Edwards. Great to be with David Glenn. And now, DG, time to go inside our XL moving and storage. Big four games of the week. And there's one headliner in our backyard this week, right? It's the 8-3 Tar Heels at the 8-3 NC State Wolfpack. Don't forget our old North State tailgate and traveling sports circus will be on site at Backyard Bistro, 5.30 to 7.30. Come out and see us hang out. Going to be a lot of fun. Another primetime game. Give me your thoughts, the Tar Heels and the Wolfpack. It's been speculated we should have a name for this rivalry or a trophy. Nothing to give away, but just some bragging rights on Saturday night. How about the Barbecue Bowl sponsored <laughs> by the North Carolina Pork Council? I Maybe. love it. We'll see. Uh, here's the bottom line to me. Only one of these two schools can have a truly special season, meaning a quality bowl game and a shot at the 10-win season, as we mentioned earlier, which, again, has happened only once in Wolfpack history and has happened actually only once in about 25 years at UNC. So essentially, the Wolfpack and the Tar Heels, who you may have heard don't like each other very much, especially when it comes to their fan bases, are standing in each other's way. Although UNC has dominated this rivalry historically since the creation of the ACC in 1953, it's actually pretty close to even during that span. 37 wins for the Heels. 33 wins for the pack and the pack has won five of the last eight matchups played at Carter Finley stadium in Raleigh, where of course will be this Saturday with those fans this year, the strengths and weaknesses of both teams are very obvious and out there on video and otherwise for all the world to see UNC has one of the best offenses in the ACC. They have a true star at basically every skill position. Drake May at QB, Omarion Hampton at running back, Tez Walker at wideout, Bryson Nesbitt at tight end, and others. The Heels are still averaging 38 points per game after being slowed by that outstanding Clemson defense, but they are coming off their lowest output of the season in that 31-20 loss at Death Valley. The Tigers are number one in the ACC in total defense, and the Wolfpack, led by Peyton Wilson, a guy who originally committed to Carolina as a high school player. One more piece of drama for you. The Pack is number three in total defense in the ACC. So this week's matchup for Carolina is very similar to last week's matchup in that way. On the road, hostile environment, against a confident, dominating, fire-breathing type defense that also and team that can be inconsistent offensively, but has been playing better lately, again, like the Tigers. The Pack has won four in a row and is playing with sky-high confidence, even after that midseason jolt by MJ Morris that we discussed earlier. This year's original starting QB for the Pack, Brennan Armstrong, is very experienced, physically and mentally tough, and he just had that best game of the season for him the 200-plus through the air with two TDs against the Hokies, the 21 carries for almost 100 yards and two scores on the ground in that 35-28 to 28 win at Blacksburg. KC Concepcion continues to be the amazing weapon for the Wolfpack all season. Obviously, that'll be on the Tar Heels radar, radar but it's been other, on other opponents' radar as well, and they have not been able to slow, especially Concepcion. Armstrong has been a little bit less consistent. That's probably going to be the key to this game. And as I said last week when I predicted a Clemson victory over the Tar Heels, it has not been wise to bet on Carolina's defense to do anything of importance lately 
in this case, dealing with the dual threat, Brendan Armstrong, and dealing with the special talent, Casey Concepcion. This game feels like two ships passing in the night, Chris, to me, and they're moving in opposite directions. Either Mac Brown and the Tar Heels save a season that seems to be getting away like last year's, or the Wolfpack takes one more step toward at least the possibility of Dave Doran's highest win total and best season in his 11 years in Raleigh. Anything can happen, and last I saw, the Heels were actually a two-point favorite but from what I've seen over the last month, I couldn't pick anybody but the Wolfpack. I do want to ask you, because there was a, a tweet or, or an X, whatever we're calling it now, that came out late last week that basically said Mac Brown is coming back to be the head yeah. coach of the Tar Heels next year. We speculated about that over the last couple of weeks on our show here. What do you make of that tweet that came out heading into the regular season finale? I think it's mostly about recruiting. Right. If somebody speculates responsibly or irresponsibly, and I would argue when you have an over 70 oldest coach in all of college football, it's certainly fair to ask the question, when is somebody going to retire? Now, you know, the Jim Bayheims of the world at Syracuse and basketball hung around until their late 70s. Right. So anything is possible. But recruits can get nervous when they hear that their guy might not be there. And the last thing Carolina needs in what is going to be a transition from the Drake May era, no matter whether Mac Brown stays one more year, three more years, five more years, it's going to be a transition. Uh, the last thing you need is guys who are either already committed to the Tar Heels or seriously considering the Tar Heels kind of putting Carolina on their back burner on the assumption that some of the speculation would be right about Mac Brown. I take Mac and the Carolina people for their word. If they say he's coming back, then I believe he's coming back. Uh, but I really do think mostly about recruiting um, because I, I don't think the guys in that locker room are going to be affected by that kind of speculation, the guys who are already on the team. Hey, folks, David Glenn. Right here in Raleigh, one of my favorite restaurants for many years has been The Oak Scratch Kitchen and Bourbon Bar. It's located on Lake Boone Trail, which happens to be a perfect location for a great meal and beverage if you're on your way to nearby Carter-Finley Stadium or perhaps PNC Arena for a concert, Wolfpack or Hurricanes game or other event. The menu is incredibly tasty and creative. The atmosphere is a lot of fun. The bourbon options are as high-end and varied as you'll find anywhere. The staff is super classy and first-rate, and I've just always loved the people, the food, and the overall vibe there. When I took Carolina Hurricanes owner Tom Dundon to lunch, yes, meaning the billionaire who owns the hockey team, I took him to the Oak. Seriously, it's that good. Learn more or make a reservation by visiting their website, theoakraleigh.com. That's theoakraleigh.com. Special thanks to Nick and Haley and their team for joining the family here at the David Glenn Show and the new North Carolina Sports Network. Talk about some playoffs now. The FCS playoffs starting this week. North Carolina Central, 9-2 and two in the first round of the FCS playoffs. They're on the road at 8-3 and three Richmond on Saturday. Yeah, this is a fun story for several reasons. First, for those who don't know, this is Central's first appearance in the FCS playoffs in the history of their program. Central was an NAIA school for decades. Then it was a Division II school for decades. And after the Eagles jumped to the FCS ranks back in 2011, their best seasons ended up in the Celebration Bowl. That matches the MEAC champion against the SWAC champion. That meant that even when the Eagles were really good, they would, by conference rule, play in the only FCS bowl game rather than accepting an invitation to the FCS playoffs. Now, this time, Howard won the MEAC title in a tiebreaker scenario because the Bison beat the Eagles head-to-head. -head. So Howard heads to the Celebration Bowl, and that left Central as the number 13-ranked team in the nation and an obvious outstanding candidate for an at-large bid to the FCS playoffs. So this is an exciting opportunity to see for the first time how does Central compete on the biggest possible FCS stage, all due respect to the Celebration Bowl. Second, the Eagles still have a chance to have their best finish as an FCS member. They were number 17 under Coach Trey Oliver in the final coaches poll last year. So that was their peak all time, at least as an FCS program. 
They were 10 and 2. They won the HBCU National Championship. They were clearly one of the 25 best FCS teams in the country. Right now, they are 13 in the coaches' poll. So if you beat Richmond at Richmond, that would probably guarantee the best FCS poll finish in program history. And finally, since Richmond happens to be a member of the newly renamed Coastal Athletic Association, which we've gotten right all year long for the record, uh-huh. it is worth mentioning that the Eagles have already played three CAA members this season, and they defeated all three. We were there for the Aggie Eagle Classic when Central beat their longtime rival, North Carolina A&T, 30-16 in Greensboro. The Eagles also edged Campbell 49-48, and then they won 34-23 on the road against what I thought was a really tough Elon team all season. As always, the main man to watch for Central against the Spiders in this case is the record-setting senior quarterback, Davius Richard, one of the best players in school history. When he gets help, the Eagles win. That's the bottom line. Remember, one of their two losses was at UCLA this season, so they've really had only one unexpected defeat. The Spiders are ranked number 25 nationally. They have won six games in a row, including against North Carolina A&T and Campbell and Elon, and they're tied for first in the CAA standings, the Spiders, with a 7-1 and conference record. Obviously, this one could go either way. Uh, but I'm going to pick the Eagles to get that first FCS playoff victory in program history. All right. Also in the FCS playoffs this week, we talked w- with Coach earlier, the running Bulldogs of Gardner-Webb, 7-4 and four, on the road at 8-3 and three, Mercer. And if you've never been to Mercer, that's a really tough place to go play. Quick history here. Since Gardner-Webb made the jump from Division II to the FCS level back in 2000, the running Bulldogs have won – Four Big South Conference championships, including these last two in a row, and now they're in a partnership with the Ohio Valley Conference. Gardner-Webb is led by our guest earlier, 34-year-old Trey Lamb, one of the youngest head coaches in the entire country, who 11 years ago was a three-year starting quarterback for Tennessee Tech as a player in the Ohio Valley Conference. In 2020, Trey Lamb took over a Gardner-Webb program that had not won a league title since 2003, and that had never been to the FCS playoffs. And now he's the reigning Big South Coach of the Year. He's a guest on the old North State Tailgate podcast. That's got to count for something. And he has the running Bulldogs in the postseason for the second year in a row. Key players for the running Bulldogs for anyone who wants to watch on Saturday afternoon, fifth-year senior running back Naree Gaither, who has more than 3,000 career rushing yards, Senior defensive end Ty French, who is among the leaders in all the FCS ranks in tackles for loss. One quick thing about Mercer, which is located in Macon, Georgia, Uh it is making its first appearance in the FCS playoffs. Um, Again, Gardner-Webb had its maiden voyage one year ago. The 20th-ranked Mercer Bears, who tied for second place in the Southern Conference, won a 45-38 shootout against that really exciting Western Carolina team we've been celebrating all season. That game was in Cullowee in late October. So this is a significant challenge on the road for Gardner-Webb. I expect Mercer to be the slight favorite, but maybe Gardner-Webb can use that experience of a year ago to its advantage. All right, we're not going to forget anybody here on the old North State tailgate. We've talked about North Carolina, North Carolina State. We've talked FCS playoffs. Now it's time to talk Division II playoffs. 11-1, Lenore Ryan. They've been the team we've celebrated the most here as of late with their success. They're in the second round of the playoffs, DG, at 11-1 Benedict College on Saturday. Yeah, first let's offer a shout-out to the Lenore Ryan head coach, Mike Jacobs. He is a former Ohio State offensive lineman who over the course now is four years in Hickory has gradually turned the Bears back into the nationally prominent program that they have been several times in the past. Remember, it was only one decade ago that Lenore Ryan played in the Division II National Championship game. That was under Mike Houston, now the head coach at East Carolina. This year's Bears are 11-1. Their only loss was by four points to Wingate. They destroyed Tusculum 48-7 at their place in the South Atlantic Conference Championship game. 
They opened this year's trip to the postseason just last week with that 63 to 17 annihilation of Shepard. And their average score this season at Lenore Ryan is an eye-popping 40 to 11. Three of Lenore Ryan's many stars are defensive tackle Andre Jefferson, middle linebacker John Ross May, and running back Dwayne McGee. They like to win the old-fashioned way, maybe as you'd expect from a former Ohio State offensive lineman like Mike Jacobs. Although the Bears do, as you said, Chris, have to go on the road this week, Benedict College is located in Columbia, South Carolina, which is only two hours and change maybe by car from Hickory, North Carolina, where Lenore Ryan is located. Benedict is an HBCU institution. Almost all of those 11 wins have come against HBCU opponents, but Benedict is ranked number four in the Division II uh, polls right now. Lenore Ryan is at number 11, uh, although historically the only two times these two have faced each other in football Lenore Ryan won both games, won both in convincing fashion, although both of those matchups were more than a decade ago. I like the Bears to win this one and become the first team in our state to get to 12 victories and become the first team in our state to win a couple of postseason games as maybe their run will continue in the D2 playoffs. And we can keep celebrating them right here on the Old North State tailgate each and every week. Time now for our closing thoughts presented by Organized for Success. DG, get us out of here on your closing thought this week. Yeah, I'll be brief here since it's Thanksgiving week. We're going to have a Thanksgiving-related show that we hope folks will tune in for. But I'm just going to say I'm incredibly thankful that I have been paid to talk and write about sports for about 37 years running now. It is hard to believe that it's an actual job description to get paid to write and talk about sports. And in some parts of the world, it's probably not a job description, so it's one more reason to be thankful. I am thankful for our various business partners over the years, including nowadays Mike Waddell and the North Carolina Sports Network here in 2023. I am thankful for you, Chris Edwards, as a host, because as someone who's hosted for much of my career, man, it's a lot easier when you have a really talented guy like you setting the table for me. So I'll, I'll add that to the list of things I'm giving thanks for. And I'm also thankful for the North Carolina Pork Council. We were joking about the barbecue bowl earlier. Uh, there's no joke. Uh, without our sponsors led by the North Carolina Pork Council and without our tens of thousands of YouTube viewers, podcast listeners, website readers, um, this whole enterprise doesn't exist. And I don't get to continue this uh, amazing run that I'm so thankful for. So thanks to you, Chris. Thanks to Mike, who's nearby. Uh, and thanks to everybody who's watching us or listening to us right now. I'll happy echo, Thanksgiving. I'll echo all of that and wish everyone a happy Thanksgiving as well. I hope that you'll watch our Thanksgiving show, which is also airing here on the North Carolina Sports Network this week. That'll do it for this week's episode of the Old North State Tailgate, an exclusive presentation of the North Carolina Sports Network. Our foundational partner, as DG mentioned, we couldn't do it without him, the North Carolina Port Council. Again, thanks to our special guest, Trey Lamb, the head coach of the Gardner-Webb Running Bulldogs. For David Glenn, I'm Chris Edwards signing off for this edition of the Old North State Tailgate, the official tailgating soundtrack of the 2023 football season right here on the North Carolina Sports Network.